Well, we are really blessed this morning to have a, a special speaker with us today. Jason Moppin is here, and a lot of you probably know Jason. Uh, he is the developer and head of a ministry in Milwaukee called Impact, which is a, a Bible school designed to teach leaders, get people trained. As far as I understand from Dr. Painter, he told me the only program in America where you can go through two years and have accredited school for all the classes you need in order to come out to be a credentialed minister at the Assemblies of God. And so the only two-year program in the whole nation that's doing that in two years. They combine the academics taught by, by degree to Ph.D. people, accredited Bible college material, um, and then they also have a whole bunch of, of hands-on training. So if you've noticed, remember last year we had Brianna here for a six-month internship. She was a second-year student at Impact. This year, right now, for I think six weeks, we have what's called a fusion fusion group coming in here, and they have been here for a couple of weeks now working with our, our, um, our teens. And so they're here right now. Why don't you guys wave at me? If you're from Impact, wave at us. And Brett, you can wave. If you didn't put two and two together, this is also the school that Brett's at. Brett's our youngest son, who he's at preparing for missions. And so a year ago, I promised Jason when Brianna came that, uh, that we'd have him in for a service. And uh, so it's been about a year, a year late. But uh, we're really glad to have Jason here. This is a ministry that's right in our backyard that I believe God is raising up. Here's the reality of education today. Um, education is in a complete transition. Uh, for a number of reasons, but one of the reasons is financially it's impossible, especially for somebody who wants to go into ministry, to go to even to one of our own Bible colleges. It costs you about thirty grand a year to go to Bible college to come out to a very low-paying career, and um, it just doesn't work. And if you're going to go into missions, you can't have any debt. So the Assemblies of God says, we'll send you to wherever, but you can't have any debt. Well, how can you go to college, come out, have no debt, and then go follow your calling? And so this is a, a, a brainchild of some people in our district to say, let's create a program that trains people here, keeps them here, but for those who want to even go off into missions or something, get them credentialed, they can do it. It's much more inexpensive. They can come out, they can work hard, have little or no debt, and then follow the call of God. And so that's a really good plan, doesn't it? All right. So Jason, with that introduction, why don't you come and share with us? He, and he told me, he goes, you don't think I'm coming to do a commercial for impact? Because I'm preaching. And so, poor Jason, I don't know if he's going to say this, but he's not walking real good today. He spent all last week on a five, 250, 250-mile bike ride, you're probably going to say that, um, raising money for Speed the Light for a guy who doesn't ride a bike very often. And I offered him a stool, but uh, I don't think the stool is the thing he needs right now. So, uh, so anyways, bless you, brother. Thanks so much. Thank you. Yes, I am walking like a duck this morning. I am not a cyclist. And never again will I ever make fun of anybody that wears those bike shorts. Because I love those bike shorts. Um, my goodness. Yeah, we rode 250 miles, uh, and we did it for a great cause. I would not have done it if it wasn't for a great cause. You're not getting me on that bike um, ever again. Uh, but, um, no, we rode 250 miles to raise money for Speed the Light. Um, most of you guys know what Speed Light is, but this specific cause was to raise money for an organization called Live Dead, and it's for missionaries that are overseas that are in these hard-reached um, areas like Afghanistan, Iraq, a lot of Muslim countries, um, where it's hard to share their faith. If they do share their faith, they're either imprisoned or even in some t- cases um, killed. 
for sharing their faith. So we're raising money for that and also for um, raising awareness for sex trafficking and helping women escape from um, those those different issues. So it was for a great cause, and uh, we raised over $10,000 for that cause in five days. So absolutely. Uh, so, so I am so sore right now. I, I'm telling you, Icy Hot is my friend. Uh, my kids wanted to jump on me. I was like, ah, no, no, no. Um, but we, um, we're, we're excited to do that. Missions is very important. I know it's important to your pastor. You guys got a great um, pastor. Just your whole pastoral staff, you know, I'm from Pastor Mark to Pastor Mitch and, and, and Pastor Paul. All you guys, thank you so much. And your worship team, my goodness, amazing worship team. You wouldn't believe I speak a lot of places, and some worship teams are just awful, okay? I'm serious. <laughs> I mean, it's all for the glory of God, I know, but <laughs> some people should just not be singing, okay? <laughs> but you guys were absolutely incredible. Um, so let's get into God's Word. I am, I love preaching God's Word, and I am going to speak to you about God's Word this morning. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for Portview. I thank you for Pastor Mark and Suzanne. I thank you for um, their lives and how they've sacrificed on the mission field. I thank you for Pastor Mitch, God, and, and, and Pastor Paul, God, who sacrificed and work and serve at this church. And I thank you for this congregation. I pray that you open our ears this morning, open our hearts, and open our eyes, God, let us see ourselves as you see us, God, and let nothing hold us back from becoming what you want us to be. May you become greater in this service, and may we become less. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. Amen. Turn in your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8, we're going to start in verse 23. I'm going to talk to you today about fear. Anybody in here, as you're turning Matthew chapter 8, starting in verse 23, anybody in here a control freak? Raise your hand if you're a control freak. There should be a lot more people raising their hands. Some people, I'm not raising my hand because I don't want to raise my hand because I'm a control freak, you know. Um, But I am, I'm a control freak, you know. I, I like being in control. I don't, I don't. Like when we drive, I don't like my, let my wife drive just because I'm in control when we're driving, you know. I like driving. We, needless to say, we went to Disney World last last year. You're not in control when you go to Disney World. Mickey Mouse is in control. Um, you know, you're just teaching my three-year-old daughter. Um, she was two at the time, teach, trying to potty train her, and we stood in line for 45 minutes to see a mouse, okay, only in America. Will we do this? 45 minutes. We get right up there, and I'm so excited to see this mouse now, too. We get right up there next in line, and, and Emery, my, my oldest, who we're trying to potty train, says, Daddy, i got to go potty. And I was like, we're going to see Mickey. <laughs> so you need to hold it. But we, needless to say, we had to leave the line, go take my daughter to go potty, and then we had to come back and stand in line for another 45 minutes to see a mouse. So when I saw Mickey, I gave him a big hug. (laughs) Um, But I'm a control freak. I like things to work the way I want them to work. I'm a checklist type of guy, okay? There's times where I'll do things, and then I'll even write them on a paper and scratch them off just for the satisfaction of scratching that item off, okay? Some of you know what I'm talking about. I, I like a list. I'm a control freak type of person. I like having a schedule. I don't like when things interfere with that schedule or people, you know, deviate from the plan. But 
we serve a God who doesn't live in a box, okay? We serve a God who, who won't let us live in a box. And most of the time, he wants us to, I shouldn't even say most of the time, all the time, he wants us to have faith. And sometimes faith, what is faith? It's a confident, what does Hebrews 11 once say? Faith is a confident assurance that what we hope for is going to happen. So sometimes we don't see what's out there. We don't see the person we're praying for that's going to be healed, but we believe it, right? I don't see the finish line that me crossing it, but I believe I'm going to cross it as I'm going up this hill on this bike going, please, Lord Jesus, let me get up this hill. Okay. But the thing is, is God wants us to have faith. And when God wants us to have faith, the enemy will always push fear. He will always push fear. When God wants you to have faith, the enemy will always push fear. And the definition of fear is this. It's an unpleasant emotion caused by the belief that someone or something is dangerous, likely to cause pain or to be a threat to you. This this is not good. Fear is related to a number of additional emotional states. Some of the things that fear correlates to is worry, anxiety, terror, horror, panic, and dread. Some of the, so we have these things. We worry a lot. My mom is king of this. She worries about everything, stuff that won't even happen she'll worry about. The news does not help with this. It feeds fear, and God does not want us to live in fear. Matter of fact, Isaiah 41.10 says, Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed, for I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with my victorious right hand. Isn't that awesome that God himself is saying, you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to live in anxiety, worry, panic, or dread. You don't have to have these things. You can have faith in me because I will uphold you with my victorious right hand. That's a big hand, and that is very strong arm, you know. Do not be afraid. They, I don't know who they are, but they are constantly doing surveys. You ever heard anybody quote they? They say. They, usually the Barnum Institute in California, um, they're constantly doing surveys. And they say, the, according to some of these surveys, some of the most commonly feared objects, this is where I need crowd participation. I need your help this morning. Um, so crowd participation, when if I come across something that you are afraid of or used to be afraid of, just say as loud as you can, that's me, okay? You can signify it by raising your hand or something. Don't jump up and down or anything like that. It'll freak me out, and I'm overweight as it is. It'll give me a heart attack, all right? According to some surveys, some of the most commonly feared objects are spiders. Okay, that's that's me. I was bit by a brown recluse spider when I was 15 years old, a fiddleback. I was like, oh, that hurts. And the next day my arm's rotting off, you know. And I'm in the hospital. I hate spiders, those little boogers, you know. Spiders. uh, Snakes. Anybody afraid of snakes? Heights. What about heights? We used, be, we used to be afraid of heights. Uh, water. What about water? I asked this question one time when I was preaching in Florida, and the young lady raised her hand that she was afraid of water. And I said, you live in Florida. You're surrounded by water. Move. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> enclosed spaces. Anybody enclosed? And I don't understand anybody that would say, "Yeah, I love to be enclosed," you know. But claustrophobia, I that's not, don't put me in tight spaces. Tunnels, bridges. Anybody tunnels, bridges? You ever been over the Mackinac Island Bridge? Oh my goodness, that thing is crazy. I was never. I went over it this first time this this last summer, and I I closed my eyes and just hit the gas pedal and told my. <laughs> Told my wife to grab the wheel. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it helps. <laughs> um, so, uh, social rejection, that was one of them. Anybody afraid of social rejection? Uh, failure, every man should raise their hand and say, That's me. <laughs> failure. Okay, and, and then they did um, the, the top two. They said the top two fears number two was death. <coughs> Excuse me, number two was death. People were afraid to die. And the number one fear was public speaking. Raise your hand if you're afraid of public speaking. Excuse me, ma'am, can you come up here for us, please? <laughs> Would like you to finish. <laughs> but that was the number one fear was public, public speaking. I used to be afraid of heights, okay, deathly afraid of heights. So me not being the most smartest person out there. A week before I got married to my wife, she talked me into going skydiving. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Can't be that bad. Uh, being afraid of heights, it's not fun, um, but I didn't have the you know ring on her finger yet, so I needed to prove to her that I was a man, and now I have the ring on her finger, and she asked me to do stuff like that. I'm like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> you got the ring on your finger. <laughs> so they took us out to this field in Florida. Didn't even have a runway, just nice mowed grass. And no one's there. It's never good when you go to a place of business and nobody's there. That's not very good business, okay? They're either, either really horrible at what they're doing or they're really horrible at what they're doing. And we went out to this field, and um, they they first show you – actually, they first make you sign a waiver, and the waiver say, says, I will not sue you if I die. <laughs> of course I'm not going to sue you. I'm going to be dead, okay? I will not sue you if I die. And then they show you this video, and inside this video, it's just perfectly like, like Beethoven's playing in the background, and it's just really calm music. And, and they show you these people getting on this huge plane, huge, massive plane, you know. And, and then they show the back folding down of this plane, and then these people just with these weird-looking goggles and packs, parachutes on their back, at least you hope it is. And, and then they jump off, you know, and then they pull this. And then they make it look so peaceful and awesome and great. And I'm like, that's not so bad. Well, the first time you go skydiving, you have to do what's called a tandem jump, where that means someone is strapped to your back, and they pull the chute. Now, remember, I'm a control freak. This guy is is in charge of my life now. He has to pull the chute. You make sure you tip very, very well before you get in that plane. So the guy that's on my back, okay, he's from New Zealand, and I kid you not when I say he was this tall. The guy, the guy, the, the guy they strapped to my wife's back was from Australia or someplace, and he was this tall. I don't know why they chose to do that, but I'm a pretty big guy, 
and they strapped this guy to my back. So if they, they actually strapped themselves to your back when you're in the plane, but if they would have strapped themselves to my back when we were outside of the plane, this guy's legs wouldn't even touch the ground. You know, it's like having a little monkey on your back. You know, and so we go and they bring us out to this plane and they tell you these hand signals. They say, listen, we're going to be flying through. Uh, this is after they have you, your money. This is after they make you sign a waiver, of course. And then they go through these hand signals and they say, we're going to be flying through the air at an incredibly fast rate of 150 miles per hour, dropping miles per second. And my mouth is like, <laughs> and my wife is like, this is awesome. I'm like, I don't know if you're the one, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and so we get out there to the plane, and they tell us, they say, listen, this is what you need to remember, this little guy, Frodo Baggins. He, uh, <laughs> he tells me that, that there's two hand signals. If he hits my leg like this, ouch, that hurts. If he hits my leg <laughs> like this, then that means there's something wrong, and I need to correct it because you can't hear anything. So he, and then he says, if you see me doing this in front of your face, this means there's something really, really wrong. So and I'm not the greatest of students, but I'm like, okay, this means there's something wrong. This means we're going to die. This means, you know. So we get into the plane. Frodo straps himself up to my back. Gandalf is on my wife's back. The plane is about the size of this pulpit, I kid you not. It's a little Cessna where they have ripped out the co-pilot seat. And there's this pilot in there talking to himself, Okay. It's just awful, awful, awful experience. Afraid of heights. Heart's pounding. I'm like, I love you too, you know. And they climb, you climb up 10,000 feet. So you're like, and you just climb up 10,000 feet in a circle. And then Frodo's like, open the, he straps himself into my back. So now he's, he's locked into me, you know. And I'm making sure he's like, crank on it. I'm like, yeah. So he's one with me. And he has a parachute on his back. So I need him. <laughs> Okay, we're taking the ring to Mordor. I need him, okay? So he's like, open the door of the plane. And so I open the door of the plane. And you're up 10,000 feet. He says, put your foot out on the ledge. There's this little ledge there. Put your foot out on the ledge of the plane. And I heard what he said, but I was so crazy. I said, what? Put your foot on the ledge of the plane. I was like, okay. I put my foot on the ledge of the plane. He said, the count three, we're going to jump. He said, if you don't jump, I will push you out of the plane. Because they don't want you to, like, freak out and knock the pilot out and you end up on the evening news, you know. So, and I thought about that. I'm like, you're going to push me out of the plane? (laughs) Really? (laughs) You know? (laughs) And so he's like, one, two, we jump. We fly, we're flying flying through the air and I'm screaming. I got my eyes closed because I don't want to see my death coming. My wife wanted to go second because she knew if I saw her jump out, I would be like, take the plane on down, you know. (laughs) And so we're on our way down. I'm screaming. I have my eyes closed. And you're supposed to arch everything. When you skydive, everything. You're supposed to arch everything. Arms, legs. I do my other leg because gravity would pull me down. But everything. Everything's just supposed to just be free falling, you know. Yes, this is awesome, you know. And, And so my top half, I was arching. Matter of fact, I arched my top half so much I pulled a muscle in my back. But my bottom half, um, all of a sudden, I have my eyes closed. Remember, I feel this on my leg, you know, him going like this. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, this isn't good. Pull the chute. You have one job. Pull the chute. You know, and he's tapping on my leg. I'm like, I just want to play paper, rock, scissors. Come and pull the chute. 
And I open my eyes, and he's going like this in front of my face. And I'm like, this is not good. Jason corrected immediately. So what I was doing is my top half, I was arched like this, but my bottom half was curled up into the fetal position. Not only was it curled up in the fetal position, but I had my legs crossed, and his leg was in between mine. Scissor locked in between mine, shooting out this way. So we're flying through the air like this. You know? And so dude from New Zealand's like, stupid American, you know? And so I corrected immediately. He pulls the chute. Not very easy. He's yelling at me on the way down. And I hated life for a good, you know, couple weeks after that. But I was afraid. I had panic. I had anxiety. I had dread. I had all that. There's a, there's a, chapter in the Bible, Matthew chapter 8, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, and we'll get back to the skydiving story, it does actually have a point other than just freaking me out, but Matthew chapter 8, it says this, Jesus calms the storm, it says, then Jesus got into the boat and started across the lake with his disciples, verse 24, suddenly in the NIV translation, without warning, a fierce storm struck the lake with waves breaking into the boat. But it says Jesus was sleeping. You ever felt like Jesus was sleeping in the midst of your storm? I know we're supposed to be Christians and we're in church and I'm a pastor and I'm not ever supposed to feel like Jesus was sleeping. But there's times in my life where I went through storms where I felt like Jesus was sleeping. And Jesus was sleeping, it says. Verse 25, the disciples, they went and they woke him up and they shouted, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. And Jesus responded, why are you so afraid? In the message interpretation, he says, why are you such cowards? Why are you such faint hearts? Ouch, that hurts. He rebukes them and he says, you have so little faith. Remember, when Jesus wants you to have faith, The enemy will push fear. Then Jesus got up and he rebuked the wind. He rebuked the waves and suddenly there was a great calm. And the disciples, they were amazed and they said, Who is this man? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Now they've traveled with Jesus for years and they're asking who is this man they've seen him do miracle after miracle and they say who is this man sometimes in order for us to have faith we got to go through the storm ourselves we can see Susie q get healed of cancer and that's great for Susie q we rejoice with her But James chapter 1 says, the testing of our faith develops perseverance, and when that perseverance is fully grown, we'll be complete, not lacking anything. Raise your hand if you want to be complete. Raise your hand if you want to be complete. Raise it high. Be careful, because read the whole verse. You gotta jump out of a plane. The testing of our faith, the testing, that's where the key, right? The testing of our faith develops perseverance. And when that perseverance is fully grown, we'll be complete, not lacking anything. Did you know what made those downhills incredible? I got, dude, those little guys that were on the bike ride, they were just going strong up those uphills. But you know who won on the downhill. You get 280 pounds moving forward like that. Nothing can stop it. I was like, move, move. 
Do you know what made those downhills enjoyable? The climb, the struggle, the sweat it took to get up that hill. Life can't be full of downhills because we would take it for granted. The testing of our faith develops perseverance, and when that perseverance is fully grown, we'll be complete, not lacking anything. In, in school, they teach us, when, they, when they're teaching us to read, they teach you to read left to right, top to bottom, beginning to end. We started, <coughs> excuse me, we started at the end of Matthew chapter 8. I want to start at the beginning of Matthew chapter 8. I'm going to paraphrase it due to time, but you can follow along. Jesus comes across a man with leprosy. Leprosy is a skin, flesh-rotting disease. Leprosy was equivalent to our cancer that we have today. There's not a person in this room that hasn't been affected by cancer, either by a family member, by a friend, or by someone. My uncle passed away two days ago from cancer. Leprosy was the cancer of that day. And it could not be cured, and it was a skin, flesh-rotting disease. It wasn't the same type of thing as cancer. But if you had it, it was a death sentence, and no one could cure it. And matter of fact, they would cast you off into what was called a sick colony, a leper colony. You were unclean. Go off there because we don't want to get sick too. And this man with leprosy at the beginning of Matthew chapter 8 comes up to Jesus, says, Jesus, (coughs) if you are willing, you can heal me. Jesus said, I'm willing, and just like that, he takes away this man's disease that should be incurable, this flesh-rotting disease. He heals this man with leprosy, then he moves on. Follow along with me in Matthew chapter 8. He moves on, and this Roman officer comes up to Jesus, and he asks for a favor. Hold up. That didn't happen. That in itself is a miracle. Because Roman citizens, much less a Roman officer, never asked for a favor from a Jewish man, a Jewish citizen, because they considered them lower class. That would be equivalent to you going up maybe to a homeless man and asking, hey, do you got a couple bucks you can spare? It just doesn't happen. You wouldn't do that, and Roman citizens got whatever they want when they wanted it. So they didn't need to do this, and, and this Roman officer knew that the Rome, his Roman citizenship couldn't buy what he needed, and he went up to Jesus, the only person that could give him deliverance and freedom, and said, Jesus, my servant is paralyzed and sick and in terrible pain. He's at home in bed. He wasn't even there. He said, can you heal him? And Jesus Move with compassion, as he always was, for the sick, the hurting, the needy. Went, was going to go with the Roman officer to go to his house and heal him. And the Roman officer stopped Jesus and says, no, Jesus, I understand. I understand and I know this. I know that I have the authority. I am under the authority of my superior officers. And I have the authority over my soldiers. And I only need to say go and they go or come and they come. And if I say to my slaves, do this, they do it. So he was basically saying to Jesus, I understand that if you speak it out right here, my Roman servant will be healed. Do you understand what this Roman officer was doing? He was placing himself underneath the authority of Jesus Christ and saying, you are over me, and I am your slave, and you 
can heal my servant from right here where we're at. Jesus goes on to say, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. So he heals a man with leprosy. He heals a Roman officer's servant. Then he goes to Peter's house, and he heals Peter's mother-in-law. She's in bed, sick, with a high fever. She gets up after, you know, Peter's like, why'd you heal? No, I'm joking. Moving on. (laughs) I love my (laughs) mother-in-law. And so Peter's mother-in-law gets up. She fixes him a meal. And then they go out and they heal several demon-possessed people. Jesus does. So let's get this straight. Okay, checklist people out there. We wake up, we eat breakfast, we heal a man with leprosy. Check. A flesh-rotting disease that should not be, be, it's incurable. Flesh-rotting disease, leprosy, we healed him. Check. Roman officer, servant, without ever even going to his house, he's healed. Paralyzed in terrible pain, he's healed. Check. Peter's mother-in-law, high fever, about to die. She's healed. Several demon-possessed people healed, 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 healed. And then Jesus gets into the boat, and what happens? We started there this morning. What does he do? He goes to sleep. Why does he go to sleep? Don't read into it. He's tired. (laughs) I'm tired. (laughs) He's tired. Ministry is tiring, isn't it, Pastor Barney? You preach. You're at 645 this morning. You serve your congregation. And you do it. You do it because you love to, because you want to. Appreciate your pastors. Let me just throw that in there. Because they do it tirelessly. And they love you. Your shepherds love you. They care for you. They care for the flock. When one of you stray off, they go and grab you. Sometimes they bonk you on the head with their little staff. Get over here. You know. The thing is, is Jesus was tired. He's in human form, and he goes to sleep. He probably really disliked the body he was in, you know. This, I don't like being tired. But he goes to sleep, and then the disciples, what do they do? They freak out. They have panic. They have worry. They have dread. They have anxiety. And they say, Jesus, save us. We're going to drown. And they wake him up. Why did Jesus rebuke them? Aren't we supposed to call on Jesus in times of trouble, times of strife, times of pain, and in the time of a storm? Why did Jesus rebuke them? Because, yes, because you guys are so smart. (laughs) Because they forgot what he did earlier that day. You know what he was basically saying? Did you not remember me healing the man with leprosy? The disease that should have been incurable. Do you not remember me healing your mother-in-law, Peter? Do you not remember me healing the Roman officer's servant without ever even going to his house? Do you not remember me healing several demon-possessed people? If I can do this, why can't I get us through this storm? You're cowards. You have no faith. And he was angry with them. Righteous anger. Hebrews 13.8, you know what it says? It says, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I love that verse. Because that means the same God he was then, he is now. You say, Jason, um, young kid up there talking about storms, you have no idea what you're talking about. So wet behind the ears. Thank you for calling me young, by the way. So I don't feel it, <laughs> you know. Um, 
but I have I have an idea of what storms are like. I was raised in a home where my father was abusive. My dad wasn't a very nice man. Fathers are supposed to teach their sons how to tie a tie, throw a baseball, how to love and care. My dad didn't do that. I'd wake up nightly to my father calling my mom names that can't speak here. My dad would beat on my brother and I, tell us how worthless we were, what nobodies we were. And then he said, one day, I'll never, I, I still hear it in my head. He said, Jason, one of these days you're going to be just like me. And I hated my dad for that because I never wanted to grow up and abuse my kids like I was abused. So when I was nine years old, I took my life in my own hands. I became suicidal. Okay, most nine-year-old kids, thank you, sir. I appreciate that. You're a gentleman and a scholar. I, uh, most nine-year-old kids, you know, the guys, the kids are playing with the G.I. Joe. You know, the girls are playing with Barbie. Some of the girls are tomboys playing with G.I. Joe. Guys, if you play with Barbie, stop. Stop it right now. I um, I played with a thirty-eight special revolver. It was my mother's. She hid it in her room because she didn't want one of her kids to get hurt, but my pain would always lead me to it. Did you hear what I said? My pain. Sometimes in life our pain leads us to things that we think will heal us, fix us, help us, but they only leave us worse off than when we started. So I've been through storms in my life, and I always ask God, why, God? Why is my father abusive? My mom also got a disease called lupus when I was nine years old. Lupus is an immune deficiency disease. Every cold that comes along, you get, and you get it ten times worse than if you didn't have lupus. She's on her deathbed quite frequently, almost dying just from the common cold. She was the hope that I had, and I didn't know what was going to happen if she left my life. My brother got addicted to methamphetamines. Still to this day, my brother's a crystal meth addict. So I know what storms are like. My uncle passed away two days ago. Storms come. And guess what? They're going to continue coming. On that bike ride, every hill I conquered without getting off that bike. Now, I might have been going like 0.2 miles per hour, but I kept pedaling. And I got to the top of that hill. And when I got to the top of that hill, guess what? I was able to soar down the other hill. And guess what? I looked up, and there was another hill. And I conquered that one, too. You know what's cool thing about our God is Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This is where you got to let the pages of God's word jump off and jump in your heart and become alive. I always ask God, why? Why did my father abuse me? Why did I have this in my life? Why did this? Why, why, why? I never got my answer until I was 21 years old and I spoke in my first high school uh, before I directed Impact School of Leadership, I, I still do it to this day, but I have a ministry called Elevate Industries. If you go to jasonmoppin.com or Elevate Industries, what is that picture you got up there? <laughs> Lumberjack Jason. <laughs> um, I'll take it anyways. <laughs> uh, 
that's actually at a school I spoke at up in Marinette. I spoke uh, uh, Marinette, Peshtigo, Coleman for about 25, maybe 3,000 students that in those three days we invited them to come back to a rally in the high school at Marinette High School. 400 students came back and 200 plus came down to accept Jesus as their personal Savior. So, <clears throat> but if you go to jasonmobbin.com, that's the high school, middle school motivational assembly program. I was in Ozaki County, and I spoke in several schools here. I was at Port Washington High School in 2011 speaking there. Um, hope to do that again with Shay Halula. Um, great guy and you know speaking at speaking at several high schools but I always ask God why and I was 21 and I spoke in my first school assembly I'm not allowed to share Jesus in schools but I talk about hope and and my and purpose in life and and self-awareness and talk about you know substance abuse and peer pressure and all that stuff and I remember this young lady was 15 kids and out of these 15 kids, they were uh, alternative. It was an alternative school, basically the, the last step before they sent them to juvenile detention center. These kids were messed up. Um, and this girl came up to me, and she had her hair in her face. Her mascara was running. She handed me a note. Her name was Emily, and I still have the note to this day. All those years of asking God why, 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 Never got an answer, and she handed me that note, and she said, Jason, I want to thank you for coming to my school today because uh, that's a suicide note. I wrote it this morning. Today I was going to go home and end my life, but because you came and told me your story, I realized if you can make it, I can make it. And did you know that that's when God spoke to my heart, and he said, that's why. God, you you mean I went through all that pain, all that hurt, all that suffering? for one girl named Emily so that she could find hope. Yeah. But you know that's how much God cares for you. That's how much he cares for you and you, young lady, and you, sir, and every single one of us in here. That's how much he cares for us. Can the worship team come back up? I don't know what storm you are in today, but Jesus knows. The first thing you need to do is make sure Jesus is in your boat. It's pretty lonely riding on a bike ride with just yourself. I tell you what, you know what got me through it besides the power of Jesus was my brothers beside me. Saying, come on, Jason, come on, you can do it. Come on, Jason, you can do it. You can do it. And some of you have been trying to do this life on your own for so long, and it's time to invite Jesus into your boat and allow him to be the captain of your ship. So you can cast your worries and your cares and your burdens. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take a deep breath, folks, because... That rest is yours to have. With every head bowed, every eye closed, I want to ask you a question this morning. Do you have Jesus in your boat? Is he a part of your life? Are you a control freak? You've been trying to control everything and it's just gotten too big. It's got too much. Your marriage is on the rocks. Storms are coming. 
You don't know how to handle it, but you don't even have Jesus in your boat. You don't know this Jesus, but you want to know him this morning. If that's you at the count of three, would you just raise your hand? Say, I want to know Jesus. I want him in my life. One, two, three, raise your hand if that's you. One, two, three, raise it high. Thank you so I can see it. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you, young man. I want Jesus in my life. I surrender my life to him. Thank you. Five, six people raise their hands. Praise God. You know how you get Jesus in your boat? It says in Romans 3.23 that we've all sinned. We've all messed up. Sometimes I feel like I'm leading the pack of, of, of mess up people. But the grace of God is so bigger than all my mess ups. First John 1 John 1.9 says if we confess our sins that Jesus is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins, purify you, cleanse you, and make you whole. All you got to do is invite him in. And ask for forgiveness of the things that you've done. And admit your dependence upon him. Can we do that this morning for those five or six people that raised their hand? We're going to pray with you. Even if you've prayed it before, let's pray with those to support them, to root them on. Can we pray this out loud? Say, Dear Jesus, say it loud and proud. Dear Jesus, come into my life. I admit my dependence upon you. You are my Lord. You are my Savior. Forgive me, Jesus, for all my sins. Direct my life. Take control. You are welcome in my boat. Be the captain of my ship. In Jesus' name, amen. For those that have Jesus in your life, but you're just going through a storm, and you need Jesus to, to be with you right now. You need a brother or a sister to help you through that storm. For those that are going through a storm and you just need to remember what Jesus did in the past because if what He did then, He's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. And you just need a little nudge this morning. You just need to have faith this morning. You're going through a storm and you need Jesus' help. Raise your hand right now if that's you. Stand to your feet if that's you. That's fine. Feel his hands going up. If that's you, stand to your feet. I'm going through a storm, and I need Jesus' help. Stand to your feet. It's fine. This is the family of God. You are, you are accepted here. You are welcomed. If you're going through a storm, I stand with you, my friends. And Jesus stands with you. Give him the reins. Everybody look at me real quick. Remember that parachute story I told you? two reasons I told you that. One is funny and the second is this. Some of us were in the fetal position flying through the air 90 miles an hour, 150, whatever it is, and you just need to do this. Okay. And trust Jesus to pull the chute. You need to let go, sir. You need to let go, ma'am. Take a deep breath and let go. Because Jesus is going to take that anxiety, that worry, that panic, and that dread. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened. He will give you rest. For his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Not saying he'll calm the storm. I won't tell you that. Because my storm in some areas of my life is still not calmed. But my faith is stronger. Amen. Amen. We're going to sing this song. We started one time through and then pastor's going to come up. But I want to pray for you. And after I pray... 
We're going to sing this song, and I pray that you will seal what Jesus has done in your heart this morning. Father God, I thank you so much for my family here, God, family of Jesus. I thank you for their lives. I pray that you'll bless and keep them, guide and direct them, pull them through the storm. I don't ask you to calm their storm because it's through the testing of our faith that we develop perseverance. It's through those hills on that bike ride that my legs become stronger, and I appreciate the downhill. I pray that you'll help them cling to you, knowing, God, that if you can bring them through a storm in the past, you can bring them through the storm now. Give them strength. Give them your power. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with us this morning? Let's sing this song. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, you know every situation and every life in this room today. And Lord, as we've been challenged today to look to you, the the one who can take us through any storm, Lord, that's exactly what we do. We open up our hearts today. We welcome you in. We ask you, Lord, to, to meet us where we're at. Lord, for some of us, you are going to calm the storm. Some, you're going you're gonna to cure the anxiety. You're going to still give opportunities that, that could be storms in the future, but you're going to help us to grow and to change and be set free in such a way that we face those storms differently in the future. And we look at what was a storm yesterday is really not that big of a deal today because you transform us. Lord, we pray right now for the transforming grace of the Holy Spirit to be released into our lives and that you would make us more like Jesus every day. And Lord, as we're like that, we could be the people then who sleep in the boat in the midst of a storm because we know there's nothing to fear. Nothing at all. Not fear itself. Nothing to fear. Because, we're, because we are hidden with Christ in God. That's what your word says. Hidden with Christ in God. So we look to you. We trust in you today. We turn from fear to faith in you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen.